Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. A huge stage for the podcast, for Zwift, and for some of the riders involved. We were perhaps disheartened by the passivity of the recent stages, and we didn't hype up this stage from Bilbao to Ascension. I'm just going to call it Pico Hano. 182 <laughs> kilometers long. It doesn't look that hard, but it does have the most uh, elevation gain in the whole race. And the Coyada de Brenes, 6.2 Ks, 8.7% is hard. Problem is, the final climb really isn't that hard. Pico Hano, 12.6 kilometers, 6.5%. It's got a little uh, flat section in the middle. But all of the sort of estimations and projections get thrown out the window when the weather changes rapidly. It's been very hot in the Vuelta. It was. It's not extreme cold today. No one's rugged up. They're still in summer jerseys, but it's gone from 35 and to 15 degrees at the finish, cold at this finish. It's raining for a lot of this stage, and so the temperature change day-to-day makes a big difference. Some riders struggling, like a Gita and Ayuso in the heat. How will they go in the cooler, wet conditions? Uh, but we had Benji, a breakaway with no, – I picked Blutschenko, you picked Vine – with neither of them. No, Jesus Harada, it was Mark Padun as the big name in that break. Exactly. Mark Padun was in that breakaway. We obviously know what happened in the, in the race last year where he struck quite highly. It was uh, the Dauphiné where he won uh, two stages in a row. Was it in a row? It was in a row, right? In a row, yeah. Jouplan, Col de Jouplan. Oh, La Plan exactly. Exactly. was a pretty strong breakaway, though. Once again, was not in there as potential satellite rider for Quickstep. We know that AK and Groves in this breakaway won't be doing much when it comes to the mountains. Ruben Fernandez, pretty good climber on Cofferdes. Jan Barclans, not really his terrain either. These mountains, Oliveira, not his terrain. Marco Brenner, curious what he would do on a stage like this. Asparen, Cataldo, and Murice. Cataldo, perhaps the most renowned of these three. Murice got close on, I think, uh, was it Planche de Belfia a few, a few years ago when Ciccone won or something? I don't know. Vaguely remember something like that. But Cataldo's the one we always knew from breakaways back in the day, but he's not at that form anymore. Anyway, this breakaway, we expected some dynamics with Molar being in the leader's jersey when it comes to chasing this breakaway. We mentioned yesterday in our preview of the stage that we'd expect the Groupama to see this breakaway and say, okay, there's riders in here. I think Bakalan's on five-ish minutes. I think Podin on like six-ish minutes in GC. Well, we're going to try and control this gap at around three to five minutes, roughly like that, and hope that another team picks it up somewhere else so that Malar can survive in the red jersey. That's how I expected Groupama to take this on, and that's exactly how they started riding this race because they took it on at the front of the peloton, they kept pacing and so forth, but as you said, the weather was looking pretty damn bad on this road to the point where rain was everywhere going into the second last climb, the Colada de Brenes, and we knew from stuff on social media that the descent was looking 
treacherous, dangerous, and so forth. Missed at the top of climb, so it was going to look interesting. Now, the next step of that is, what happens in the breakaway first? We see that we go to that Coyada de Brenes. We see a few riders already crashing out on some descents before the actual climbs happening. But it was pretty clear that Button was the strongest rider in the breakaway on that Brenes climb, right? Well, yeah, well, you remember he won from the GC group on Le Plan, from the break on Col Le Joux Plan, he attacked Conrad and co at the base on the second stage with the peloton being paced pretty hard, I think, by Ineos. So he knew the peloton was closing in. Maybe if they had seven minutes, he stays with the group and then he just attacks on the final climb. But he had to yeah. go there. Um, but yeah, I tweeted because I saw Seba Balocchi saying the descent is very technical off Brenes. Um, and then at the finish, Raul, who writes, Raul Bancari, who writes the relegation battle battle articles on lanternroof.com.au, sent me a photo. He's like, mate, I'm freezing. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> he was so cold. He's just standing there at the finish line and there were no fans there, just standing at the side because, yeah, missed fog. Um, and so... That means stuff will happen, like former girl 2020, Love Welter, which was even colder, I think, but a softer parkour. So Ineos, Benji, were pacing hard into the base of Brenes. They used clock and clap, melting the gap. And like Cavagna yep. had been used to control with FDJ, just control. But they were met, like clap melted it. Um, went like five to three clock went three to one thirty at the base of Brenner's. Like when you, I, when I saw Padum go and like, I saw he's looking in good shape on Instagram before the race. I knew like he's got diamonds in the legs, like he's flying. Um, <laughs> but the problem Benji is, is descending, which we'll get to in a second. Quick step. Who actually paced Brenner's? Was it just quick step the whole time with Vivaka and Jala? Well, I'd argue that it was kind of in parts, you said it, like the sprint towards Brenner's did a lot with dropping the gap and it's significant. Going a bit to our earlier discussion, we said, oh, Grupama will hope that a team would pick it up at this point in the race to make sure that the gap towards the break doesn't exceed those six minutes. That's exactly what's happening here. Ineos picked it up and dropped it straight to 130 at the bottom and then they actually kept on pacing for a tiny bit on the climb is what I felt and... Then a crash happened somewhere. I think Hagen was down, looked pretty bad initially, but then it looked like his wrist was hurt or something when the doctor was holding that. So I would be surprised if he's still in the race at this point. I actually haven't checked if he actually abandoned from the race. But that caused, from what I saw, a split in the peloton group. And Ineos kept on pacing when that split in the group happened. And I don't know who all was behind. I think Juanpe Lopez was behind. I was trying to bridge to the front group and so forth. I think Primoz was in the front section of the peloton. Pacing with Juanpe behind. Dishonorable. <laughs> Wait for oh, El Patron. Shocking. <laughs> El Patron's I'm, not going to be happy about that one. Millard was struggling too. I don't like... Yep. Oh, was that not on the descent? I don't know. Millard looked like he was struggling a lot. But yeah, I... Quick step. Not quick step, sorry. Ineos had a lot of cooks in the kitchen, Benji. And once Plapp and Turner have dropped, there's no one left to pace. They have four, at that point, maybe not after today, four leaders. And so they're dependent on quickstep pacing Brenner's. So then that says to me, what's the point of Plapp and Turner burning themselves if you're not going to dictate pace on Brenner's? I don't really understand that. Like, 
you're just pacing hard to eat into the breakaway. I guess it makes the stage win more viable if you're going to go for that, but then you're not pacing Brenner's. Like, that's the problem with four leaders too much. Like, two-leader strategy, great, but four leaders, it's, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure how much it uh, it works. And, yeah, Padun Benji took 30 seconds out of them. He went 130 to two minutes on the climb. Is it because of the fact that they were hoping to use this first week to damage a Roglic that is unsure in the climbing stages, the proper mountains. We saw him on the punchy stage, was looking great there. When it comes to the mountains, we haven't had confirmation yet. Perhaps the thought process of Ineos was, if we start setting it up, perhaps Quickstep will take it up afterwards and we'll have a stage that is hot from that point onwards and put pressure on a Roglic. That's the only thing I can see in the logic behind Ineos setting that up early but not continuing with that action. It was in the peloton, while you said Bodden indeed extended that gap, it was quick step pacing, but Von Welder was one of the first riders to go from that team, and I don't know if he actually did much work because he was in the uh, didn't do anything. group of yeah, Mollard dropping. So that was pretty early on the on the Brennes climb when they started getting behind. And Alaphilippe was the one that really picked it up towards the latter part of the Brennes climb for quick step. And I feel like the gap still was not going down when it comes to Potten. Potten was still expanding a tiny bit when Alaphilippe yep. was pacing on that climb. Keep in mind, Potten ahead, Alaphilippe pacing in a peloton. There's still riders in between. Fernandez together with Masnada. I think Fernandez was a bit better towards the top of the Brenes climb, but Masnada's ascending afterwards brought them well together in the in the descent of that Brenes. Potten goes into that descent before the other two. And my God. Like, it reminded me the cornering of Remy Cavagna in that American race a few years ago. Yeah. But this was because of the weather, right? Like, Pardon's no, not a terrible not descender good. like this. Pardon's really? not a good descender. No, on okay. the Dauphiné stage, the descent finish to on stage eight last year, he lost so much time on the descent. He wasn't that good. And because it's a thing like, oh, well, he doesn't need to push hard because he's ahead. It's like, nah, some of the lines weren't great. So, no, I don't think he's a great descender. It was big weakness, and it might have cost him almost the stage today, probably not in the end. Uh, because, curiously, quick step again, I'm like, are they going to do a Remco launch over the top and he's just going to full <laughs> send throw to death into yeah. this descent? And they didn't. And this is what was weird. They let Wild Poles go to the front. And again, we saw on Coyata Yomana descent in the Vuelta last year when Roglic and Bernal attacked Pauls, I think, was pacing for Bahrain. And he, uh, riders have told me from that group, they weren't going quick. They let that gap out go. And we've got a technical wet descent in Spain again. And so it was weird that Quickstep then ceded control. I think maybe Jala shuffled back to them to pace. And they then lost, like, they gained time on Padun, but they could have gained more time. So a gap went 130 to 207. Back down. To like I don't know what it was, fifty seconds uh, in the valley, and then we have Alaphilippe even like went to the front and sort of not attacked, but you just look at Wild Poles like you're going slow, <laughs> danced in front of him, and we're thinking in the valley, Ineos don't take it up. They got four riders in the group. Uh, Quickstep have Masnada ahead. He sits on Fernandez, does not pull in the valley before Picohano. He's clearly waiting up for Remco. Uh, Bora have Kelderman and Hindley. We don't actually have any GC contenders dropped, I don't think, at this point. Enric Maas, I mean, he's a new man. He's made it down <laughs> this scary wet descent, no problem. 
and Alaphilippe starts pacing the valley after Padun, keeping the gap pretty stable, about 50, 52 seconds. Fernandez is never catching up to Padun. Padun gets to the base of Pico, Pico Hano. It's now better for him. Starts climbing again. Just the watts will out, because now he's going to do... He's pacing against Alaphilippe and Masnada, and he's faster than those two, and Alaphilippe's just full, pulled the valley. And... This is where the stage. I love the the roller coaster of emotions, Benji. Padun's forty seconds ahead. <laughs> He's looking good. Domestiques. Alaphilippe pulls off. Masnada comes back. Beautiful use of him by quick step. He starts pacing. He pulls off. O'Connor had a man- mechanical at the base of the climb and then came back. He's good in the rain usually. And I'm thinking, oh no, Avon Paul's going to do a Mikel Lander Bahrain 2020. <laughs> He's going to do have the team pace all day and nothing happens. And then suddenly attacks start flying. Uh, uh, Rada, a Simon Felipe Yates, who was good in Paranese on cold, wet conditions. And then I didn't even see the attack, Benji. It wasn't even an attack. Remco starts to send. Yep, certainly. But I feel like there were a lot of riders that were doing stuff that we didn't see on camera. I think at a certain point, Butraga was at the front as well. And... We saw Remco speed up at a certain point, but wasn't that after we saw the legendary attack of a infamous Australian esports climber, Jay Vine? It was, yeah, sorry. Vine attacked before Remco. Great timing. I thought he was going to get in the break today. Instead, attacks from the GC group. And because he's not a GC threat, he's on 13 minutes. No one needs to react. Whereas Simon Yates, then O'Connor reacted on him. So everyone's pretending Vine doesn't exist like they've done for the last 18 months, despite him being clearly one of the top 20 climbers in the world. But because people can't evaluate talent properly in World Tour, um, he's had to do this today to rub it in everyone's face. Um, He goes clear. And Remco starts pacing. Vine's got 20 seconds on him. Vine catches up to Padun. Vine goes straight past poor Mark Padun, who must be thinking, I don't have many good days a year, and I'm on one a good day today, and GC guy's going to do this <laughs> to me today on this sort of stage? Goes past Padun. His stage win chances are done. And Remco's got Sivakov in the group, O'Connor, Yates for a bit, and Enric Maas. Enric Maas is... Uh, third wheel, Roglic is second wheel, Benji. And Remco just does his own pay. He must be so confident because he doesn't attack. The start of uh, Pico Hano is a bit steeper and he just grinds them off the wheel. Hindley goes, O'Connor goes, he pulls out, Yates goes, suddenly Sivakov goes. Roglic is at the back of the group. And when Roglic moves to the back of the group, you know it's not like yeah. he doesn't laugh like a Soler yesterday. He was struggling, obviously. And Remco drops everyone except Enric Maas off the wheel. How surprised were you by that? Well, we had both picked Remco Evenepoel for the stage on the podcast preview initially. So we expected the stage to be a Remco Evenepoel stage because of that value you've got in the middle of the climb. But... I didn't necessarily expect it to be the way that it was right now because I was predicting this stage in like sunny conditions. In rainy conditions, it changes completely to the point where it becomes a bit of an attrition climb as well. It really comes down to a lot more than just just attacking and hoping that you've got the acceleration to put people on gaps. Here it's also about the weather that tears people apart on these climbs and makes it so much harder for these riders. And 
we saw riders dropping off the wheel of an Emko Evenepoel and Enric Maas there, and Roglic was one of them, like you said. I, I won't say I was surprised of seeing it happen. We hadn't confirmed the form of Roglic. This does show that he's not at his top, although you can also say he's not amazing in rainy conditions. Like, we've seen him do well in some rainy conditions in the past, but it also depends day by day, I'd say, when it comes to rain. He doesn't have the resistance against rain that a Pogacar, for example, has, Roglic. And we see on this specific stage that Remco gets that gap, but it's like he doesn't instantly realize it. He doesn't know that he's off the back. He like looks back and is like, oh, I've got a gap. And starts pacing a bit faster for a tiny bit and then keeps tempo. And that's what keeps on happening with Maz on the wheel. And this is where I find it interesting. Maz, for the rest of this attack in the wheel of Remco Evenepoel, does not take over from Remco Evenepoel. And in the second group, Roglic, who is in the wheel of that Ineos rider, I think it was Sivakov who was the final one to survive when it comes to Ineos. Yeah. They end up getting more and more riders in their wheel. Higita comes back and like a bunch of other riders. Ayuso was the first one to come back, I think. Ayuso came back right here. Your man, the man you said was legendary and should be the all-out leader for you. Is that Facts. what you said? Or I don't know what you said. Facts. And in Catalonia. He's, <laughs> he's the chosen one. Like, he's 19 years old, I think. Like, Ayuso attacks, drops everyone on Ineos, drops Roglic. He, a rider messaged me yesterday being like, Ayuso's been struggling in the heat. He's had no teammates. He's dangling at the back, not enjoying the heat. And then we had this snap to cold weather, and I wasn't surprised to see this. You look at La Molina, a climb that suited, he came second on that one from the GC group when McConaughey got away in Catalonia. Very similar climb, and he was good there. It's just crazy. And to what was also interesting to me, Benji, Roglic is pacing the group behind. Ineos have multiple guys or have multiple exactly. guys. And I don't know. Like, I get that Roglic is one back to back to back, but two podium guys are ahead. Like, why are they relaying? Well, it's similar to what we see in the front group. Eh? We see Mars being in the wheel of Remco. Perhaps he couldn't go faster, but he, he also couldn't. knows that. I don't think he could. If you, okay, but let's say that he has the energy. If you're Enric Mars, you know that Remco Evenepoel will keep on pacing regardless. He's done it every single time. He's bloody done it with Cobrelli in his will in the European Championships. We know that Remco will keep on pacing, so Moss has no reason to take over because why would he? He might as well stay in the wheel and ride in the wheel of Remco to the top, just and like Remco that, and perhaps care. go for an attack. Yeah, exactly. But Rem- when it comes Remco's to Roglic... Remco's got the TT true. gains and the projected TT gains. Why would he care? Yeah, but... We, we know that Remco sometimes, regardless of whether he should care, probably sometimes still cares and would be like, come on, dude, and probably still gets annoyed by it. He tried to flick Master the front twice, I think, on this climb as well. Yeah. But when it comes to the second group, or actually third group in the race, because we got to keep in mind that Podun and Vine are still ahead at that point. Vine has bridge to Podun, is together at the front. But in the Roglic group, you said it, they're not picking over from Roglic. And I'd argue it's the... Uh, the old saying that I've messed up so many times on this podcast, eating out the plate of your competitor before you're eating yours. That's what they were doing to Roglic. And it's dangerous. It's a dangerous game. We know that. Because shouldn't they have attacked let's say, him? Let's say it's like that Giro, where Nibali was trying to figure out whether 
Roglic was bluffing and Carapaz took time that day. Sere sole it's, reale. Way, it's way worse than that. Because <laughs> Remco, he was that. the second favorite. And he's, he's a minute ahead. Yeah, but you know, you don't know if he will survive three weeks. But that is the bat they're placing right here. It's a dangerous move. I agree. It's a very dangerous risk. Or do you think that they couldn't? Do you think that they have uh, leaders and they haven't decided who's leader and neither of them wants to throw their hands yeah. in the fire for the other at this point? Yeah. That kind of stuff. I, I don't think people surely are underrating Remco to the point where they're like, meh, have a minute. Like, surely we're not at that <laughs> still. I mean, he could crack whatever, but from what we know, I don't think you should. I think it's what you said just then. And also, the f I think we didn't see all the GC group all the time, so we don't know for sure what happened. I do think Ineos Sivakov maybe did try a move here or there. Gino Maida was looking good. He loves the rainy conditions. Uh, Bora, I don't think, did. But they were probably just hanging on. And also, if Roglic is going to pace, then, just, you know, sit in and you, you fight. You're having a bad day, you fight for another day. Like, I used to spend a lot of energy. This is a drafting climb. There's a literal descent in the middle of it, pretty much. You're going 45, 50. So, yeah, I, I kind of get it, but it maybe was an opportunity to try and take time on isolated guys like Almeida. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the big story of the stage, two big stories. We'll do the first one first. Jay Vine, he's got... 25 seconds, 21 seconds, 18 seconds, but he's holding off Remco Avenapol. He basically didn't lose any time in five to six kilometers to Avenapol on the climb whilst Avenapol was putting over a minute into uh, the likes of Primoz Roglic, Sivakov, and Hindley. And Vine wins his first professional race. Could it be any better? an uphill mountaintop finish from the fucking GC group in the Vuelta España after he had an incident with the car and Bardet won the stage from the break last year. This is a really, really special performance. Um, like, personally, of course, I'm extremely happy for him and Brie. I know how much they've uh, sacrificed and struggled, so really, really happy for him. When it comes to Vine, I do want to say, like, We've seen this coming, eh? Like, it's such a build-up towards this moment, even on the road. And while I mentioned eSports Climber earlier, I think I should stop doing that, because he's not just an eSports Climber. I feel like it's become a bit more... It, feel, it feels like it's a... I think it's lazy to that say that. takes away from him. I think it's lazy right? to say it. Like, Agreed. he came fifth I on think Laguna Stanai last year. And he would have won a Velta stage last year if he didn't get crashed by his own car in the Velta. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It's I'm really happy for him. I am. I'm also incredibly frustrated still that what, to me and people watching properly, was so obvious for so yeah. long, a guy who comes over from Australia during the start or during the pandemic on the Zwift Academy contract. And he like just lands in Europe, got no, you know, all the life admin you have to do. And thankfully he's got Bree to help him as well. They're a great team. Goes to Turkey, does pretty well in a dot pro race. I know it's not the Tour de France, but he's still performing straight off the plane. Then fifth on Lagunas Denier, still what the Zwift deal expires. Alperson do the right thing though. They extend him 
Um, and there's no, like, I just can't believe other big World Tour teams didn't come knocking, of course, after this stage. I mean, and then after Norway, Benji, I was like, is, do, do we get it yet? And people still don't really get it. Now, of course, he hadn't won a race. He, he'd crashed a lot. He In Swiss, he didn't cope well with the heat and he didn't do well. So I'm not saying it was like, you got to make this guy. I'm, I'm not, and I was never saying he's the next Chris Froome yeah. or Jonas Vingegaard, but I was like, really? No World Tour team doesn't want the top 15 yeah. climber in the world? But did it benefit him that he stayed on on Alpecin and got these opportunities to show himself like this instead of ending up on a World Tour team where he might have ended up as a domestique and not get these opportunities? I don't know. Wouldn't he have dropped his leaders today? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, maybe he would have won. No, I think he would have won big races earlier, actually. Um, okay. And his TT would be flying too. So wh whatever happens with Jay, um, if he stays with Alperson, if he goes, uh, I think he's signed through 23. He's certainly on the radar of everybody now. And I think the Zwift Academy plug writes itself today. Like I haven't, I've been holding off the, the Zwift read because there doesn't need to be one today. Zwift Academy registration is open. J1 Zwift Academy back in the day, it got him a pro contract, got him racing in Europe. And it's a pathway particularly for riders in not central or mainland European countries. So sign up if you want to have a shot, the six workouts and go to Zwift dot com and maybe get a free seven day trial or you will get a free seven day trial if you haven't signed up down below so a big day for zwift i think as well so i'm very happy anyway that's the huge jay vine spiel i have been it is also bittersweet benji that you picked him yesterday for the stage i picked Lushenko. <laughs> i picked him for like i think i picked him for like stages where he wasn't even in the race at the tour de france um so <laughs> anyway we got it both covered remco <laughs> powers away Ayuso's in the middle. He puts a minute 22 into Roglic, Sivakov, Gagenhart. Great performance from Gagenhart. Henley Rodriguez. There was three Ineos in the group, Benji. It was Rodriguez too. Yates, Almeida, Meda, Kelderman, uh, Aronsman, O'Connor. 122 into them. He actually puts a second, according to PCS, into Mass. So I think Mass was on the limit. Also, I don't think Mass should really pull if he is on the limit. Um, he... He silenced the haters a little bit, Benji, but this is one stage. This is week one. Remco's done well in one-week races before, but he's never dropped Primoz Roglic off the wheel uphill before. Yep, notable difference. We've seen similar things in the Giro that he came back to at the start, the first week where he was pretty strong. I think top three in GC for quite a bit. Almost took the pink jersey on the stage at Attila Walter. Ended up taking pink in the end. I think Belgian media was already celebrating pink when Walter crossed the line and was like, sorry guys, it's mine instead. When it comes to them, Kuevenepoel, he showed that he was strong there in that first week, but nothing compared to what he's doing so far in this Velta. As in today's stage, team time troll was good. On the flat stage, we can't tell anything about what the was like. And when it comes to the previous stage, it also wasn't necessarily an out-there performance because there was nothing happening in the GC. In today's stage, he makes a move, a significant move, and he gets away with Mars and he pushes and he opens up a gap with most of his GC competitors except Mars. He even drops Mars on the line for that one second, like you mentioned. So significantly different from what he's shown before GC-wise. 
The question now is, can he keep it up for three weeks? And that's where it's difficult and I'd argue almost impossible to predict. But when it comes to these things, like he's never not proven in a Grand Tour that he can survive. As in, we can't use that Giro in the past to say, it's irrelevant. Oh, he he can't keep up for three weeks, guys. Like he, <laughs> he was he was losing time in week three and then DNF. Oh, like that that doesn't make <laughs> sense. <laughs> uh, well, especially when accent. like the the watts are completely different and he's uh, he's aging into his you know what is he twenty two twenty three now. He takes the red jersey, Avonapol. 21 seconds out of Millard, who loses it, probably can't believe it. Mass, maybe a career best performance. I think there might have been some career best performances from Vine, Evan Paul, and Mass. Don't have the watts yet. Mass is third, provisionally second on 28. Roglic 101. Ayuso, it's Ayuso time, baby. 112. Sivakov and Gegenhardt on 127. Rodriguez 134. Yates 152. Almeida 154. Kinley Kelderman because the ball are bad. TTT on 155. So really, the only thing separating a lot of those guys, uh, sixth through say thirteenth, is the team time trial. Uh, Lopez and Aguita. Where did uh, Lil Monster lost time from that group three? Kus lost time. Carapaz Benji, he lost two minutes forty to Avonapol today. He must be one hundred percent domestique. The Sivakov yep. and Gagan Hart, they, they someone has to be, and he's the guy that lost out today. So someone has to. Um, but on Avonapol, Rodriguez is still up there, mate. Like we won't throw Rodriguez in the bin. I didn't. I said Carapaz has to be the domestique. Oh yeah, you're right. But you said for Sivakov and Gegenhardt, and I was like, I was waiting. I was waiting for the well, and Rodriguez, the true leader of Ineos, but <laughs> it didn't come out out of your mouth. So I had to like yeah, drop it in there. Is way stronger, I think. Um, <laughs> is Velta will prove otherwise, my friend. <laughs> yeah, if it Third had some steeper finishes, it would have been better for C Rod. But Remco Benji, he takes the red jersey now. Quickstep looked good today, but I, I won't say that Quickstep shredded the group. They didn't. The group was still big, and attacks started flying, and then Remco went. He's got a pretty healthy lead of a minute 01 on Roglic. Roglic didn't look good today, although it could have been the, the rainy conditions, but I'm not sure. that I don't think Roglic just crumbles because it starts raining. He did well on covered yeah. on the stage in the rain. I don't believe yeah. that. It wasn't two degrees either. It was like 15 at finish. Can... It, should Quickstep try and give this jersey away to a Rudy Mollard, to a Rain Tarame? Do they want to be pacing for the next two and a half weeks? Will that actually help them wear it in Madrid? And can Avonapol keep this up? Because this is a great performance. I mean, he's got the TT where Roglic aside, he's taking over a minute on everybody else. So really, he's already got like on a Simon Yates close to a three minute lead. Oh, no, maybe not Yates. Yes, a good time trial. But you know what I mean? He's got he's in a hugely advantageous position. What do you think they should do and what do you expect from him? Well, when it comes to Remco Evenpool, we know that his time trial is significant. We know that that time trial is going to benefit him. The time trial that is upcoming on stage 10 or 11, I think 10 it is. 10, yeah. And the danger is, of course, like Sierra Nevada, altitude climb, for example. But now he's got some time ahead of others to drop if he's not that great on altitude for example we don't know that yet when it comes to Sierra Nevada but a lot of these climbing finishes in this Vuelta we've said it before the Vuelta in the preview of this Vuelta 
that Remco fits so well on all these not so steady, not not so steep gradients, but steady gradient climbs at the end of stages. And the last half of this climb is kind of like that. It was a steady gradient, the last half of this climb. First part was a bit steeper, but he also survived the steep section quite well, the 11% section on that climb. So it all worked out quite well today. I expect it to work out quite well on the on the stages that are steady gradients, but the question that I have, when it comes to like surviving three weeks, I've said it so many times before that Giro doesn't matter. I don't see that as a as a symbol of he can't make three weeks. I don't think we've seen an opportunity for Emko in full conditions where he can show that he can make it three weeks. But I think it depends on more his team. You said it multiple times this week already, I think, when it comes to the strength of his team. Philippe was a solid domestique today. I think Von Welder was a bit domest- disappointing as a domestique today, but he was good, I think, at some point this week. So well, I think on other stages, maybe he reason. might be better. One more thing, though, before I throw it back to you. Do you think that his team's preparation in terms of the weather can matter a lot? As in, in Swiss, it was really hot. Yesterday, it was really hot. Today, it was rainy. Do you think that the hotness is a bigger danger for Emko than this rain? Yeah, exactly. That's what. That's exactly what I was thinking. Van Wilder and Romandy, when it was raining, capitulated, I think, when he should have done better. He was really good on the hot days. Okay. Like we have we have limited data on the young rider, but that's two two points that we now have a we now have a sample size. <laughs> um Alaphilippe and the others really struggled in the heat. Ayuso really struggled in the heat. And then weather weather changed, cold and rainy. Colder, milder and rainy today, they're much better. Not Alaphilippe's not, he's not dropping the GC group. It's not like Coos or McNulty pacing the tour. Like, we're not there, but he's a serviceable domestique doing things, influencing the race for Avonapol. That's a big difference from being dropped one came to the climb on previous stages. So I think a lot depends for Avonapol on Quickstep on the weather. I think you'd want Ilan to be, to be good, but I don't think the heat suits, even though Avonapol's been training in Dania um, in 40 degrees and it might not be a weakness, I don't think it suits him as much. It, I don't think it suits the other guys as much, uh, maybe as well. And I also not sure Quickstep are the best at managing the heat in terms of recovery uh, management during the race. I'm not sure they are the best at that. Yumbo Visma, I think, uh, have that pretty dialed. Um, so... It really depends on the weather. Is is it going to be scorching down south? Probably. Like it's been hailing here much in Andorra, much like the weather in uh, the Basque country today, raining hard. But is it going to be like that down south? So this welter isn't over. We could see heat really playing. And you know who enjoys the heat? Uh, Enric Mas. But yeah, which, like, but we've got Fankaya, don't know how to say it, in two stages. I think Quickstep got to stay aggressive, Benji. Take time while you can. While Roglic, don't let him recover if you were even a pole. Do it again. Exactly. That's what they need to do. They need to try and benefit from the fact that Roglic is currently not at his top form, in my personal opinion, and continue taking time where possible, but also keeping in mind that it doesn't need to be stupid attacks, because obviously if you start doing stupid attacks and if you start sprinting at every finish, for example, for bonus seconds, which... Remco wouldn't do, but for for example, Pogacar did that at the start of the tour, for example. That was unnecessary in certain stages because there was nothing to gain with the sprints. There were no bonus seconds in some sprints that he did. Avonapool can't 
do that stuff when it's unnecessary, for example. He can't go for intermediate sprint just before a climb in the same way that he did at Basque Country, for example. Those small details will save him energy and could end up deciding whether he survives this Grand Tour completely or not. There's so much when it comes to that, but I guess we'll see in the coming days and the coming weeks whether Demko Evenepoel will sustain in that red jersey that he currently is in. I, as a Belgian, am incredibly curious to see what happens because we haven't been in this position in a, a long while to have like a, an actual GC rider that is actually fighting for GC and has a chance of winning this Grand Tour before Demko Evenepoel sins. Jurgen van den Broek, if we even considered that a rider that could end up winning a Grand Tour, not really. He got into like the podium of a Grand Tour because everybody else got caught. But anyway, how, how many, when it how comes many to, news outlets are down there from Belgium? Like 12? I don't know, but everyone's shouting about it right now. I think he's on the first page tomorrow of every single newspaper in Belgium. And M. Quaven to pull in red, big titles. And honestly, he deserves to be there. So, hey, look forward to what he's going to show in the coming days. But oh, I want to ask I, you a different thing. I'll, I'll okay? just say it, it, it does remind me of the tour a lot in that if Roglic had done this today, what are we saying? Tour's over, right? If he'd done what Avonapol did today, because he's done yeah. it before, he's won three times. This reminds me a lot of the tour where because Jonas, even though he took what, when you think about it rationally, is a huge lead on Pagastra after Grenoble, he hadn't done it before. He hadn't held on for three weeks or worn the jersey so because we haven't seen it from even you don't know i believe in even i'm back i'm back on <laughs> the even uh belief train um it'd be hard not to be but we haven't seen it so that's why you know yes he has a nice gap but sierra nevada you crack on hazelanas you're fucked like you're doing 15 k's on your own whilst other on a other people are drafting so Boris still in the fight Ineos still in the fight. Roglic, I don't know. It's not over. I do think, yeah, Quickstep got to stay aggressive. Hone in the advantage when you can. Stage 8. Hit again. Remco climb. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Almeida, Ayuso, McNulty when it comes to UAE. Short conversation about those three riders. We've spoken about Ineos. We've spoken about Quickstep. We have not spoken about Ayuso. We've spoken about a bit. But when it comes to Almeida... We haven't spoken about him too much, and it's probably because we didn't see him for most of the climb. He probably was behind the group in the mist for a majority of the climb, and that's why we didn't see him. And then eventually, towards the end of the climb, he came back to the group of Roglic, and I think I'm pretty sure that he actually finished in the group of Roglic as well. Yeah, yes, indeed. When it comes to McNulty, I think he lost time today. Yes, he did. He's not well, lost serious time today, so... He is on 27 minutes today. That is not looking good when it comes to potential GC. So he's collapsed. We were considering him as a super domestique, more than a GC rider, I think, in my book at least. And I think yours as well. So Almeida versus Ayuso. Ayuso is significantly better in this rain compared to the sun. You've mentioned it before in this podcast. Almeida, is it the rain that is his weakness? Because he's done better in some rainy conditions also done no, a lot no. worse in rainy conditions i don't know what to expect from almeida anymore wasn't he good in the break on cortina d'ampezzo like almeida trying to figure him out is like <laughs> it's no answer like <laughs> i i think i think almeida was totally fine today i don't see an issue with his performance he just rode steady he didn't feel good enough to attack i guess and just rode steady with the other gc guys 
finish with them. He'll have a good TT. He comes, what did he come good in Giro last year? He was really, really good in the third week. Although yep. this this welter does not have um, Sega de Ala at the end of it. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a great day for UAE too. They won with Soleil yesterday. Their 19-year-old who they extended till 2028 is back in the GC fight in a big way. He's now third, second in provisional GC if you re- remove Millard. And so they now have two legitimate leaders. And that tactically, with Koos dropping early today and Roglic looking vulnerable and Ineos not really riding for each other, except Sivakov and Gegenhardt, I think, actually might work okay. This should be a good thing for UAE. Um, but, yeah, do you think, who, if you're UAE, though, which rider do you direct resources to? If Ayuso drops on the stage at Fankaya, do you drop riders back to help him? Obviously, you don't drop Almeida back. It's difficult. I think those two riders are your leaders, and I think we've seen so far that the rider of the two that is suffering doesn't always seem to get the support either. As I swear, when a user was dropping on that random hill stage in week one here, I think stage four on on one of the uh, hills where we weren't expecting to have trouble, well... Bernard there he ended him. up. What, sorry? Julian Bernard and Cataldo dropped him. Yeah, exactly. That was unexpected. But also next to that, there was no one from UAE waiting for him in that moment, from what I could tell at least. And I swear today when it comes to Almeida, we didn't see it because it was in the mists. I don't know if anyone was waiting for Almeida in this stage. I genuinely don't know. I think there was only one UAE rider in the group before we got to this final climb. And that was Polans next to them. So perhaps a Polans was helping out Almeida while he was dropping. And then Almeida called back the Roglic group. We don't know that. When it comes to diverting resources in the future, it's whoever gets dropped first gets Domestique to help him out. Like, that's how I see it. And you try and keep them both in the running because I don't think you can decide between the two. Like, we don't know if this is like 2019 Velta and a user is Pogacar in 2019 Velta and Almeida is Arwin. Well, he's probably not. Arwin in 2019 Velta. Because <laughs> remember when they were shouting, yeah, Arwin's the leader? Yeah. <laughs> Even for the tour after Tour de France 2020, yeah. Yes. I, I think you're right. I think it's kind of a moot point in that drop back who? Like maybe McNulty comes good in week two or three and he is the guy who'll be there. But ultimately, when the group is whittled down to 15 guys, it will most of the time just be Almeida and Ayuso and I think if one of them has a flat on a flat sprint stage or something with 100k's to go of course you drop people back yeah. for whichever one it is but it's probably a moot point I'd love to see them try a dual leader strategy later in the race and work well uh, will Ayuso sacrifice a GC position for Almeida to move on? but I can't wait it should be good I mean I'm obviously Ayuso stan um, so <laughs> we'll see but yeah it's great I mean I'm very happy for the race, Benji. Like, this could have been a shit stage. This could have been a really shit first week with no big GC fighting. Uh, I was worried about that with the early Basque stages. The weather, gods helped and delivered for us. Like, unreal. Um, yeah, and also just a, what a day for the <laughs> for my favorite, <laughs> right? Padun, <laughs> fine. Even a pole, Ayuso. Unreal. Um, Crazy. Unreal. Like, but yeah. Any last thoughts? It could have been a shit stage. I think it is still a shit stage for a lot of the riders because of the rain. Yeah. But at least we enjoyed it. 
I would say O'Connor looks very good. He looks very good. He made the same mistake he did on Lam, not Malamalina, the uh, boy Toll, when he was in the leader's jersey in Catalonia. He had the mechanical. He came back well on the final on final climb, but then he took it upon himself to chase Simon Yates. And it's like that's not his that's not his gap to close, especially when you've had to do an extra effort that the other guys haven't had to do. And then he was, you know, maybe overextended following uh, Roglic. And Avonapol initially, he was in a group of five. So I think he got a bit unlucky with the flat and then maybe overextended a little bit. He rode the opposite of Almeida. I almost think O'Connor, without bad luck, could have done something like a last two-kilometer attack, take a little bit of time um, on that group. I think he looks pretty good. And again, the rain really suits him. But yeah, what a stage. The Vuelta is still wide open. Um, The Avonapol, yeah. Avonapol's looking good, but we don't know. But before we sign off, I almost forgot tomorrow's stage, super weird stage. It is the one with just a big 20K, 6% climb in the middle, 191Ks, very long, 65Ks from that climb to the finish. I am going to go with Caden Groves. I think he makes it over, and I think Benji Ineos should not allow that. But I mm-hmm. think Bike Exchange rally around him. I think Groves wins ahead of Hater. Oh, I think you forgot about the man, the myth, the legend. Got second, second, and second three times in a row. Oh, he's Miss Peterson, so well. Juan Pe, and Kenny Elisande will be his lead out instead of Kirsch. They will know that the small people are going to bring Peterson to the victory. True. And that's how Miss Peterson wins tomorrow. Yeah, okay. I had to go with the Australian. If Peterson wins. <laughs> That's fine, but I can't not pick Groves and an Australian win, and it's just I just can't do it. So, all right, you did Groves yesterday. Th- you don't think Hader? Surely Ineos can drop Pedersen and Groves on that. But then you got sixty Ks, and they got five GC riders. I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? It is, but hey, that's Sam what we'll Bennett see maybe 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 they do it at three watts per kilo, and Bennett makes it over. Who knows? Oh, I'm being serious. He made it deep into today's stage. Maybe not. I think that'd be a mistake from the other teams like Trek. Anyway, that was the pod today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Let us know down below what you thought of the stage. We'll have the watts estimations up on lanternrouge.com.au later today. And I've got Deutschland Tour highlights, uh, which was a sprint, I think, uh, on my main Lantern Rouge YouTube channel as well. Thanks to Zwift as always for presenting the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao.